from the city of brotherly love. This is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You just arrived to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser. This is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete global chaos. Today's episode brought to you by Sador, a global SAP platinum level partner to get your business off QuickBooks and move it to the next level. Check them out, Sador.com. And today... We're going to be talking all about marketing for local businesses. First, though, remember, please download the Shark Bite Biz app on Android at the Google Play Store. You got to do is type in Shark Bite Biz, three words. And remember, that's the place you can find every single episode of the show, every audio, every video file. It's all right there in the app. Now, let's get back to today's interview. People discount the power of local SEO marketing sometimes. And I think they just kind of have like the mindset like, ah, I need Google ads or LinkedIn ads or Bing ads if you're still binging out there. (laughs) But they kind of really overlook the power of their local community outreach and the power of just reaching out to, to, you know, the local community so that when someone searches blankety blank near me, your business is the first one that shows up. That's what today's guest helps fix your mentality on. So who do we have today? None other than Laura Nelson. Laura Nelson has marketed, sold to, and collaborated with local businesses for over 10 years of her career as a marketer and business manager. Following progressive roles with BroadlyReputation.com and Patch, She is currently VP of Marketing at Signpost based in Denver, Colorado. So, hey, without further delay, let's bring Laura right on in here. Business strategy. Laura, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became Shark Bait. Thanks for having me. So glad to be here. Oh, no problem. I'm glad to have you on because I love talking to marketing people right now, especially with the way that the economy is going, you know, First budget, everybody cuts down, always seems to be marketing. So I don't get that trend, but uh, I think it's an awesome time to have marketing people on spreading why it's probably the worst thing you could do for your business right now. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I hear that all the time. Hey, marketing spend is the first to go when things get tight, but that's a sign of a weak business, right? And a very short-term mentality. Yep, I, I hate it when people think of the now Instead of uh, thinking, you have to think of the now, don't get me wrong, but you also have to think of the future too. And, you know, if you only think in the moment short term, you're not going to reach those long term goals. But before we go any deeper, I've got to ask you, we have tradition on the show. Very first question out of the gate. It's always like, what's your background? What's your experience? What do you do for a living? How did you get there? Basically, in a nutshell, Tell us what makes Laura, Laura. Sure. So I'm currently VP of marketing at Signposts. We work with thousands of local businesses on their marketing programs. Um, We're a software provider. We're also a service provider. You can read more about that on our website. But going back, um, I am the daughter of local entrepreneurs. 
my parents had a publishing business for a long time and their last endeavor, they published a shopping and lifestyle newspaper for the Western suburbs of Chicago. They did this over 20 years and it was one of those papers that featured a number of local interest stories, uh, you know, profiles of celebrities from the area, but also what uh, a lot of news about what the local businesses were doing. It was also ad supported. So we had over 100 advertisers a month. And that was my real exposure to the local business community, how to interact with them, um, how to help them market themselves. And I grew up working in the business in all functions. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. A lot of people come on the show. And yeah, I, I guess you can say that we get some flukes every now and then like, oh yeah, my, my dad was a plumber and I hated that, but I wanted to go into sales business or, or whatever, you know, he just worked for some firm or whatever. Uh, but more often than not, you know, the guy whose dad was a plumber actually owned the plumbing business. Uh, and, you know, or, you know, with you, with your parents being business owners and, it seems like, um, you know, I kind of see the trend and it's with myself too, that my dad was the owner of a small um, uh, contracting company doing roofing, siding windows, stuff like that. So I've always kind of had that entrepreneurial mindset in my my brain. I mean, even with my my daughter right now, I mean, she's nine and she stands outside every weekend <laughs> selling paintings uh, and drawings and sketches to all the the the, the neighbors. Uh, and it's it's funny because you can see, you know, the the apple has not fallen Paul from the uh, far from the tree. Uh, you know, do you think that's definitely the case with uh, your background there? Because it seems like it's kind of similar in that, you know, in that way. I think so. Although I'm one of four kids and I'm the one who had the most involvement with the business. Now, all of us had roles at some point or another, but mine was the most longstanding. And I would say I'm probably the most entrepreneurial of the kids. Um, they have more corporate jobs or my sister's a school nurse, things like that. So um, I would say, yeah, I think I inherited the those qualities most uh, strongly from my parents definitely some same case with me I, I was one of four i probably had the most uh, involvement for a while i mean my uh, my brothers helped out like doing some jobs here or there but they were more just doing the actual work not on the the business side of things like i was where i hated the manual labor i'd rather be out there selling the projects to do well that totally makes sense and it was unavoidable in our family so my parents were business out of our home so before working from home <laughs> okay so you get it I, I get it I get it I mean you walked right through our backyard and it connected to a building that was technically at another street but my father had them all connected and it won that was his warehouse for his business where his office was and then all the the equipment and where, you know there's a lot next door where the vehicles would be parked and it was uh you know, bright and early, you'd hear all the, the clankering, you know, four or five, 6 a.m., depending on the day that it had ahead of them. 
of everybody getting their equipment, you know, together, throwing the the ladders on the trucks or the vans and stuff like that. So it was a pretty similar environment, I'd say. Different industries, but still similar in, in many regards. Yeah, we we didn't have the benefit of another building. Working from home before it was fashionable. Absolutely. I get you. I get you. But I mean, to be fair, it did feel like it was still part of the house. It was a separate building. But I mean, my backyard was half this building. So uh, it it was uh, and it wasn't the biggest building either, because we're talking rural Pennsylvania where, you know, you're talking more like row homes type stuff. So it was pretty, uh, pretty crazy. Uh, But it really instilled a lot of those foundations into me that I've taken to heart throughout my whole life. So, you know, one of the the hot topics today, I mean, as we we record this um, interview, I mean, like today, for example, Meta's laying off 11,000 employees. Um, You know, I could tell you YouTube ad revenue for things like this channel um, are way down compared to what they were six months ago. And explanation is, is that advertisers are pulling out their ad revenue for marketing their businesses. So in this type of economy, what does online marketing for local businesses look like? What should they be doing? What should they be focusing on? Yeah, I think there's definitely a case to be smarter about marketing. And we can talk about you know how to measure that and um, you know what it means for local business owners. But I think the biggest mistake kind of like investing, right? We saw, you know, when the market dipped for COVID, there were people who got out immediately. And what happened? They realized their losses, right? And then they didn't benefit from that bounce back. Right. That's where a lot of the, 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 what do they call them? Retail investors, you know, like the people at Robinhood, uh, that was me at the time, for example, I was like, oh, wow, you know, Two months ago, this stock was 150 bucks, and now it's like six dollars. Okay, well, I'm going to grab 100 shares of this, and uh, I mean, there was not many extreme cases like that. But like, for example, if you remember the point when oil was negative, you know, like the the cost of a barrel of oil was negative, you could go out and grab UCO, USO, dirt cheap. And I, I bought it dirt cheap. And then eventually when oil started to skyrocket up uh, earlier this year, you know, it was kind of like, you know what? I, I think maybe this is like a really, really healthy margin here. Maybe it's time to take my winnings and uh, jump out. And, you know, you, you turn a few hundred bucks into a few thousand bucks. So I was definitely of that mentality to where, when everybody else was getting out and it was bottom, I'm like, hey, you know, what goes down is going to come back up. (laughs) Kind of the reverse mentality of what goes up must go down. Um, I felt with our market that it would eventually bounce back. I just didn't know when. So I was just looking, okay, you know, throw, you know, I have some uh, extra money. Let's throw it in and see where it goes. Yeah, I encourage business owners to think with a similar mentality. Now, that doesn't mean spending all of your savings when things are low, but to maintain an investment mindset. You know, if you pull all of your investment in marketing out when things are slower, right? When when there's a recession, when equities are down, to use that analogy, um, you can guarantee that you won't 
get any returns, right? <laughs> there's no way to measure that return on investment because there's no investment whatsoever. So you may see your competitors pull back, see other types of businesses pull back. And for me and for the businesses that I see that are thriving, they see it as an opportunity. They get more strategic on their spend. They may not reach the high watermark of their spending, but they're going to still invest in the programs that work. Because chances are, if you're a local business and you're supporting communities that still need your products and services, that need still exists. That HVAC still needs to be fixed. That repair still needs to happen. And if your competitors are taking their chips off the table, that's an opportunity for you to make sure that you're the one who's found and chosen when that homeowner has a local search, right? Especially because so many companies are pulling their money out of marketing right now. I mean, add buy rates, uh, I'd imagine that they're probably cheaper because you're trying to draw more people into buy ads. I mean, is that accurate or not accurate? Well, it's hard to say because there's so many variables at play, right? So that fluctuates. If we think about a product like Google local service ads, um, that's going to be different from market to market, from service to service, and maybe even from week to week. Are people looking to, say, remodel today? Maybe, maybe not, right? Um, we're in this interesting time because interest rates are so high that people might dial back and decide to do that remodel rather than move. But again, it depends on what's happening in your market, in your industry. I don't want to generalize, but, um, you know, a product like search is so dynamic with the demand in your market that there's some interesting things may be happening where you do get an amazing deal on pay-per-click or on local service ads. Okay. Okay. So what about the, you know, like one of the, the other talking points that we have here is for online reputation management, you know, word of mouth marketing. I mean, everybody has seen the, you know, the famous or infamous uh, Yelp reviews of, you know, places being blown up for various reasons or, uh, I just read one the other day uh, that I, I, I guess it kind of went viral since there was news stories about it, but it was about a woman who called the cops because the smoked pork she got was was pink, not realizing that, you know, when you smoke pork, it's going to look, I mean, whether it's, I smoke a lot of meat, I'm not a good smoker. Sometimes it comes out really good, but whether it's pork, whether it's uh uh, you know, a chicken or a turkey that you're smoking, um, you know, it's going to be a little bit more redder inside to where traditionally, if you're cooking that in the oven, you know, it, it kind of, you know, you would get like, oh, yeah, this is raw yet. But because it's smoked, it's at the temperature, you have the confidence It's just red because it was smoked and it, it, it looks a little bit different. And there's this woman that, you know, called the cops because they wouldn't refund the money because they're like, it, it is well done. You know, it's smoked. That's how it's done here. And uh, then gave pictures of it at a one-star Yelp review um, over it and just went berserk. And, uh, you know, she was kind of toward the shreds, I think, by the online community um, for going that far. But, 
you know, how, how does a business manage that type of online reputation stuff where things easily, easily, just from one person these days can spin out of control? Yeah, that's a great question. We get that all the time. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with Signpost, uh, we are in the online reputation management space and have been for a long time. We've since branched out into other areas, but this is still a major reason why companies come to us for help. Um, It's really unfortunate when one customer or one person doesn't even have to be a customer uh, goes to your listing and blows things up, so to speak, or your Google page, for example. My recommendation is to get proactive about this. When you have just a handful of reviews, that one negative review is going to make a huge impact on your average star rating. Whereas if you're building up dozens or hundreds of reviews, that one person doesn't stand a chance of blowing up your business online. What we work with businesses on all the time is getting proactive and asking every customer for feedback on the experience, right? How did it do for you? And can you share your experience online so that we can help recruit more customers like you? And the reality is the majority of customers are happy. You know, you wouldn't be in business if you had the majority of customers who are dissatisfied. Those businesses tend not to stick around. But if you have a healthy business, if most of your customers are happy, they are happy to provide that feedback and to help spread that word of mouth online. Um, What tools like signposts do is just make that a lot easier for both the business and that customer. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm weird, but I actually do like... um seeing some negative reviews. If I'm seeing all five-star reviews, uh, I get a little bit suspicious, you know, because there's no way, you know, a company is batting a thousand and they do perfect service every single time. There has to be one unhappy customer. I mean, even, uh, you know, restaurant business, like usually I, I don't know. I, I just have a, an unwritten rule to where it's like, Hey, you know, till we decide if this place is good or not, like we've got to try it three times, you know, we've got to try it three times and see, you know, how good it is all three times. Cause one time it might blow you away, but then the other two times it's like, wow, this is uh, disgusting. We never want to eat here again. Uh, and so we, we usually give each place about three, three shots before we go. But I, I do like the authenticity I'm seeing that not everybody has had, uh, you know, perfect, uh, perfect service. It makes it a little bit more real to me. Yeah, I think it does. In some instances, we hear that because no business and no person is perfect. So it can come across as suspect. It's like, hey, what's the deal? Are they cleaning up all their negative reviews? Chances are, if you're in business for a few years, you are going to get some negative or neutral feedback. That's okay. You just want to make sure that, you know, the the breadth of your customers are heard online. So the dissatisfied people, if you play defense, dissatisfied people are the first to go online and tell the world, right? We've all been in that experience with a restaurant where we've had slow service or got food poisoning or whatever the case may be. We'll be on that review instantly. So. 
There's a little more grace in restaurants, I will say, because the stakes are lower, right? This is not an expensive purchase, but there are other purchases, things dealing with your home, say, you know, that roof repair, for example, siding job, these go into the thousands of dollars and customers don't want to be wrong. I mean, we always have to go back and, you know, a patch here, patch there. I mean, it could be five years later. It could be 10 years later. And it's like, you know, you just kind of do it out of, out of customer service and just standing behind your craftsmanship. But I mean, again, I'll go back to the roofing business because, um, you know, having that experience when I was younger, but, uh, you know, with that, it is, uh, you know, things are going to eventually happen, you know? So it's like, okay, you go into it with your pricing, you have it built in, uh, you know, to your margin, stuff like that. Like, Hey, we're probably going to have to do a, a minor repair here or there. Uh, you know, unless it's something like, uh, you know, wind damage or storm damage, something that their, their insurance should be covering. But, uh, you know, if for some reason what the roofers went down, maybe they just didn't seal, you know, like a valley in a roof the proper way. And it's like, OK, you know, now they've had a, a first storm like that's been heavy six months later and they see some uh, water coming in. Like, OK, we just go out there and fix it. No arguments like we'll take care of it. No problem. And customers respect that because they also like I said, I, I think that. Most customers want a good experience, but they don't expect everybody to be perfect every time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that expectation setting is so important at the beginning, you know, especially as you're going into these more expensive projects that can really have to set the tone because often we see, and we work with a lot of contractors and roofers, especially um, we see a lot of reviews that are kind of about mismatched expectations maybe they were oversold from someone who knocked on their door and uh you know offered to do a free inspection gets on the roof points out um you know points out some damage from a storm for example and you know gets them into a replacement or a repair uh you know their excitement is the highest at the beginning and you know there can be things that happen along the way that don't match that expectation from the beginning. Framing, how, how you frame it with the expectations is critical. I mean, right now we do ERP implementations and, you know, I'm upfront with them. I, I think that's why people love me, um, you know, that end up purchasing off us because I'm like, hey, yeah, you know, there's a risk that your project can go off the rails. I mean, you're in software, software world to where um, things may not always be perfect, but we do have a lot of different review checkpoints. We do have a lot of things to try to mitigate those risks and to keep your projects um, on track. But even with that, every now and then you do get one that kind of blows up on you. And it's like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be the person who sells that type of project. So we try to do everything we can up front, be up front, you know, make sure expectations are set. And, uh, you know, I think customers kind of respect that a lot more when you sell it the right way. Yeah, absolutely. And that's you know, it's yeah, it's critical at the beginning to to level set and to be realistic. You know, what you intend to do and what can potentially go wrong. 
too. We were talking a little bit before about what businesses should do, uh, you know, about playing defense or offense. Um, well, you didn't say offense, but you kind of alluded to offense. Uh, you know, defense, offense, as far as reviews. I mean, how can they be more proactive as far as getting those positive reviews? Because as you said, rightfully so, the angry customers are going to be the first ones to yell and scream on a site like Yelp or Google reviews or whatever it may be. Um, how can they be more proactive to get those positive reviews? Um, as I mentioned, it is incorporating everyone into the asks. So um, there's a side on, you know, it has to be built into the processes and values of the business. Like you have to fundamentally believe that, you know, every customer is important and that their feedback's important. So that's that's one. And then um, you have to build that into your internal processes. So, you know, let's take your business, for example, um, asking for feedback and asking for that review should be part of that final walkthrough. With our ERP solution software, I mean, once we go live with our customers, that is something that um, uh, we do. We do that as part of our implementation process. Um once a customer goes live, there's a period that we call hypercare because once they go live, there's always bumps in the road. They're going to be slow now that they're using it in real life, even though it's been tested thoroughly, you know, nothing can really uh, replace the day to day real life experience of using the system. And, you know, you have the, the, the bumps in the road. So they go through that hypercare period and then we do a turnover to our support team once all the little minor, hopefully minor bugs are all worked out. Um, then we turn it over. But then in conjunction with turning it over to our support team for the future management of that existing system, uh, we also do a customer kind of satisfaction survey type thing to where uh, they get on, they talk to someone who they've never met before from the company and you know, they say, hey, how was the sales cycle? You know, how was it uh, uh, explained to you? How well did we meet your expectations? How well did the implementation do? And we kind of cover everything from the start, from the first time that they become a lead, all the way through, up through go live and until turning it over to our support team when they're finally ready. Um, you know, th that's kind of the culture that we built around that with setting expectations, framing all that stuff. I mean, would you say that that's pretty solid for a business like like ours? Yeah, absolutely. I think that expectation setting that check in for feedback is critical. Then are you circling back and asking them for a public review? at the end? Well, what we do a lot of times instead of public reviews is we'll try to not like on Yelp, not really on Google, because I think they've done re I think our marketing department has done research into this. And they found that that actually wasn't helpful for us. What was more helpful was getting them as far as case studies and stuff like that. So we would go back then and try to get them as a refer referenceable client in a case study, especially because a lot of businesses, they end up changing people, okay? They change people, whether it's executives, whether it's project managers, people that were there during the implementation aren't necessarily there five years later uh, when it's like when we need them for a, a referenceable client. I mean, all they can say at that point is, yeah, you know, system works good. We love it. 
Uh, Vision's been great for us, but I wasn't here during the implementation, so I can't speak to that. Um, and that's where we kind of found out that um, having the case studies, so that way we can present that like shortly after go live, the experience, all that stuff has kind of helped us a little bit more. Well, I don't know enough about like your target market, but I will say in residential, most likely people are starting their search on Google. You know, this is the, this is the reality, um, the majority of the time. And either they got a referral and they need to Google the name of a business and that knowledge panel shows up on the right, or they do what we call it is a category search where you know, they're looking for a roofer in their market, for example, and there's listings that pop up in that Google three pack. And the only differentiator really is their online reputation. They're not getting to your case studies. The roofing, that was years ago. That was my father's business. Right now we're in software. So that's a little bit different. With the roofing, I could definitely see how that would make a huge impact. With us, because we're doing business to business, um, you know, and most people, you know, they're not looking up our company by name they're more looking for products and then once they find oh okay sap business one or sap business by design or s4 hana things like that then they either reach out to the publisher be an sap like hey who do you recommend us go to and then they'll send us to that or they find us in conjunction with those products and that's how they end up reaching out so it's a little bit different than someone that would be looking for a like a, a residential roofing lead in that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. The scope of my conversation today is about local marketing. So, you know, definitely you're in a business to business, more enterprise motion. Um, that's not really what I'm covering today. Well, we do do it locally. We do do it locally. We, we are hyper regional uh, to where, you know, like, for example, we reach out to the D.C., Philly, uh, New York, and Boston metros. So what we try to do is get those areas, those suburbs right outside of those areas. And we try to, you know, market locally to those and we keep a local presence in each one of those markets. So that way we are local to the customers in those areas. So anyways, um, as far as one of the things that you mentioned earlier was like, you know, you have tools as far as how you can gauge the ROI and stuff like that, as far as what's working, what doesn't work. Are you able to kind of jump into that area a little bit? Sure. So again, like the, the scope of what I'm talking about is the type of business that sells to local consumers. So B2C businesses, um, we'll, we'll set aside the example of your business software B2B a little more um, niche than... A lot of our listeners are going to be, you know, a lot of them are working professionals, whether it's like roofing companies, we've had a lot of contractors come on that are fans of the show, for example. Uh, so it, it, you are speaking directly to those markets. I just like to try to use myself as an example because it's easier for me to talk to <laughs> uh, instead of coming up with hypothetical situations. But uh, yeah, yeah, if you could please speak to your expertise in those areas with the, you know, the, the business to consumer types out. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in, I'll address then the tools that we have for those types of businesses. And hopefully that, um, you know, encapsulates your, your following here. Um, so I mentioned online reputation management signpost has been in that, in that space for a long time. And that is that proactive 
priority on following up with and getting feedback from customers. This can be offline in the form of surveys, or it can be online in the form of Google reviews, Yelp reviews, Facebook, et cetera. So that tool works on email and text. But you talked earlier about experience, or you mentioned experience, and that is another critical area where local businesses really need to focus, right? It's not just in delivering a product and hoping the customer is satisfied. And, you know, that's the case with, say, like the uh, the pink smoked meat, right? Maybe there were other opportunities to educate that customer along the way before she got to Yelp and delivered her feedback. I mean, honestly, with that, I think it could have just been easily mitigated. Okay, whatever. Uh, here's your refund. Please leave. You know, and just left, left it at that. But they won't refund the money. I think they offered her a piece of chicken or something like that. Uh, but uh, she wanted a refund and they're like, no refunds, you know, and they, they were firm on it. Um, so I give them credit standing for their principles, but um, I'm sure it's something that they do, probably do not come across very often because it seemed like it was a very, very popular, very popular hot spot where I'd say they probably have 99.99% uh, customer satisfaction across the board. And to get that one super angry customer that's going to blow everything up, I, it was probably a rare experience for them. Yeah. So putting that aside, you know, every business, no matter you know whether you're in the trades delivering a service or selling a product, needs to think about their customer experience. In other words, what is that experience from the time someone initially gets in touch with you? you know, can they find you online? Do they need to call you? Can they text you? Can they chat you? You know, What do they learn from your website? These are all critical components of the customer experience that lead into that journey of them deciding to do business with you or not. Um, the reason we focus so much on that front end, and that's what part of what Signpost helps to facilitate too, is that you know people have certain demands out in the marketplace today, right? And I'll give you an example. A year or two ago, I was looking for a garage door repair service, and you know, it was during the day. I'm busy. I don't have time to call three providers. Understand their fee structure, and then schedule an appointment with them over the phone. I defaulted because, you know, I'm a consumer who wants convenience and wants to take the path of least resistance. Uh, I booked on a service that had a scheduler on its website. Like, hey, this is a pretty straightforward project, need uh, my garage door repaired. And, um, you know, I'm just going to take the pain out of the process and book on a scheduler. So I hear a lot of business owners tell me, hey, I do, I'm, I'm a phone guy or gal, you know, we do everything by phone. That's great. Think about consumers. Think about how you spend your day outside of your business. Chances are you're sending way more text messages than having phone call or sending emails, right? Services like, say, you know, Uber and Netflix and Amazon have changed the game even locally. And while it's not expected that you're going to deliver something with prime speed, you can start to provide some of that technology and immediacy, how you get back to people and how you communicate with people. So it's a piggyback off your, your experience there. I mean, when I buy a car, 
Okay. And I was, uh, up until the great car shortage of COVID, I usually got a car every three years. I mean, we were were leasing, so I turned the old lease in, get a new car, but I would never, I'm way too busy to go in person um, to buy a car and I'm not spending a half day at a dealership, okay? To find the business that would, especially pre-COVID, that would actually cater to that. I mean, most sales reps, and I worked in the car industry for a hot minute, you know, during the Great Recession. I needed a a quick job, got a job uh, selling cars for about two months, did really good. Like I, I really was a good car salesman, believe it or not. But uh, it, I, I don't like selling cars. Um, it's not it's not something that motivates me. It was more of, you know, there are no jobs out there and I need to make some money somehow until I can get something else. I ended up doing my own consulting agency and that's what I left for. But um, uh, I know that the way that those people think, oh, you, you know, you just got a tire kicker. They're not going to buy, you know, they're, they're not buying out the phone. They need to test drive this. And it's like, no, I researched what I wanted. This is what I want. Okay. You've got it. Okay. I'll fill out your credit app, um, you know, and give me your best pricing, down payment, stuff like that. And if your figures match my figures, I'll come down, I'll sign, give you whatever I got to pay. And then I want to leave, you know, like I want to be in your dealership for an hour or less, you know, and to get people to actually do that pre-COVID was very, very hard. However, it was successful and it would take me sometimes emailing, you know, five or six different dealerships until I got, it It usually ended up being the younger, maybe not younger in age, but younger in experienced sales rep that was greener. I was like, okay, I'll play ball with this. I got nothing else to do. Um, and, and the, you know, they ended up getting their sales because I was serious. I just didn't want to be stuck in a dealership and I couldn't afford to be stuck in a dealership for half a day or longer because, you know, buying a car, you know, a lot of times at the dealership, you're there, what, three, four, five, six hours sometimes. And I think that kind of goes with uh, a little bit with what you're speaking about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I bought a car that way in 2011, uh, just by email before driving it. So it's nice to see that other markets are catching up with that. Um, But yeah, that's, you know, that is the reality of the discerning consumer today. Like they are not going to come on site. They're not going to waste a lot of time on this process in person. They will do a lot of their research ahead of time. And when they get to you, they may have their mind made up. But if you drop the ball, you don't call them back. They fill out a web form. It goes into a black hole and they never hear from you they're not going to do business with you. Let's talk about the path going forward and let's finish, uh, you know, up with this, um, uh, with this trend. Uh, you know, we're pretty much at the end of 2022 as we're recording this and this will air closer going into 2023. Uh, the economy at this point, uh, we've probably have had what, two, three quarters in a row that it's been a economic downturn. So I would say no matter what definition you use, we're probably in some sort of recession. How big is the recession? I guess history will tell, um, you know, how long it, it, it takes until things bounce back. But with all that in mind, I mean, what are you seeing as far as the, you know, newest trends, you know, finishing up this year, going into next year? What should businesses be looking 
into possibly doing. And again, for people listening, you know, we're talking about, you know, residential, you know, individual consumer, not the B2B marketplace. So we touched on, you know, some of the programs deal with advertising and, you know, demand for that and response to that and pricing for that, that will fluctuate. I would say, take a hard look at your numbers. There is a lot of waste here. I'm not saying turn off your programs altogether because chances are some things are working. You know, if you're seeing a strong ROI on Facebook ads, there's no reason to turn that off. So you know, first step is to you know measure the output. What would you consider a strong ROI? Sorry about that. You know, it really depends on the type of business, but you know, everyone should have in mind like what the cost of that lead is for their business, right? measure their um, measure their close rate on that, on that lead and that leads to you know a cost of customer acquisition right and so that's it's going to be different across different types of businesses but you know if you're a business owner who doesn't have an idea on what you're spending per lead and what you're spending per customer take the time to learn that because you need to establish a target and you need to establish a baseline and then measure for your performance uh, over time, you know, to make sure that you're getting that ROI that you need from programs like Facebook. I would also say not only just, you know, that you're getting the ROI, but measuring that cost per client acquisition, you know, that over time, you're able to try to get that cost down and minimized. I mean, that might be a little bit hard because some things may be cheaper now than when things are booming. Um, but again, you're talking about averages, you know, like um, you, trying to get that average down as much as you can. And I don't know, I mean, with the market, the way that it is, uh, while a lot of people were down on it, I, I see a lot of positives. I see opportunities for businesses if they make the right moves that they can take advantage of what their competition isn't doing. Absolutely. I mean, there definitely are opportunities. Um, we have a lot of businesses that come to us, they've reevaluated all their tools and their people. Um, some can't even hire someone to manage the office or answer the phone. They come to us and say like, hey, I'm going to spend, you know, 250 to 500 hundred a month on live receptionist service because like I know you guys at least answer the phone and get messages to me when they can't do so locally right so that's that's another trade-off you can think about like what kinds of services can you outsource and I'm not talking about outsourcing to China but you a service like Signpost or others where we have people in the United States who can help answer your phone. I think that's critical right there, too. I don't want to throw Asus in, up, but I'm going to blow Asus up because um, for the first time in my life and because of this podcast, too, you know, I, I needed to upgrade my laptop. And just because of the way that the the supply chain has been with chip prices and stuff like that, which led to the Chips Act. Um, you know, it was very hard to get an upgraded laptop at a reasonable price. And I ended up spending with tax probably about 3,500 bucks on a laptop to get it with the specs that I needed uh, for this show, you know, a good video card, RTX 3080. Um, I needed Thunderbolt 4 because I'm trying to get everything up to 4K, um, stuff like that. 
and you know, I, I spent a lot of money. And then uh, this is a special laptop too because it it's a ZenBook Pro Duo, which for people that are not familiar with that, it's actually got two screens on it. So you, you imagine a laptop where you have the key sitting. So the keys are pushed all the way to the bottom. Okay. And then the other half of the bottom of the clamshell of the laptop is actually like half of a 4K screen. I mean, it is amazing and it makes production so easy, but uh, it seems like uh, the cable became loose or that screen was defective. And working with Asus North America, you know, I kept getting people that, yeah, they spoke English, but they really didn't comprehend English. And, you know, I, I'm binational. I lived in Mexico 15 years. Um, you know, my wife's Peruvian. I lived down there. You know, we fluent Spanish and English in our household. Uh, so I, I'm used to talking people that, you know, understand English, but they don't necessarily comprehend English. And for me, it was still a mind-bending, horrible experience to where to get this thing repaired, even with purchasing their accidental dent, you know, damage protection warranty and all the extras with it. Like I actually had to file a BBB complaint to get this laptop repaired. Um, you know, even though it was part of the warranty service that I had purchased and everything, because people just were not comprehending me. And there is no customer experience that is more mind boggling than that. So when you say, outsourcing it to someone like Signpost that's in the United States, I think that makes a big difference for consumers as well. It does, right? Nobody likes hitting voicemail. And you know, we often say voicemail is dead because you know how often you just hang up. I don't listen to voicemail. Right? Owners don't listen to it and people don't like leaving voicemails. They've been I just read the text and script and I'm like, um, oh okay, John called me. I'm gonna call John back. And then uh um, John's like, oh, you got my message. Well, yeah, yeah, I got it. I didn't really listen to it. I mean, my voicemail says, don't leave a message, just text me. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Anyways, Lara, hey, this has been a great informative chat. I think you gave us a lot of perspective, a lot of things to think about. Please tell me how people can find out more information about Signpost. Also, where can they contact you in case they have any questions? Sure. Signpost, you can simply visit signpost.com. If you want to get in touch with me, write me lnelson at signpost.com. Uh, that's my email address. And if you want to find me on LinkedIn, uh, my handle is Laura Liz Nelson. Uh, perfect. Perfect. Hey, Laura, thank you so much. Everybody out there watching on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're at. Uh, as you know, the link to sign post will be down below in the description. Please make sure you check the business out. They definitely are doing a service to help small businesses grow. Lara, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you and, you know, just milking all this great info from you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Cheers. Oh, wow. That was an incredible chat with Lara, right? I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. She is extremely knowledgeable and it was pretty incredible. 
First, though, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked those warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out because you know Shark Bite Biz is the greatest kept secret in the world of small business, please share us out to your network, your friends, your colleagues, your coworkers, family, whatever it may be, uh, anywhere that you dwell on the interweb, Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Minds, uh, just help us get the word out because we only grow because people like you share Shark Bite Biz. Now let's get back to the real rock star of this show, Miss Laura Nelson. So small business marketing, you know, it's really amazing stuff because it's really different than how you market mid-sized, large business, even a small business that's national. When you're doing that local, small, small business type stuff, it is a totally different marketing world. Many people will tell you that their business doesn't buy ads, that they only do word of mouth advertising. And in a small local community driven business, you know, yes, word of mouth advertising is critical. And yes, you know, that's going to drive a lot of foot traffic to your business. But I think one pit many of those customers have or many of those businesses have is that they only rely on the word of mouth advertising to get their customers in, you know, and they don't have that real true marketing plan that year over year helps them grow their business. Even if geography wise, you're growing it within a specific geographic region. Okay, but what you're doing is you're you're getting greater penetration and you're bringing in more customers from that area. So even if you're in a limited landscape, you can still do greater penetration with a smart marketing plan. I think that's kind of what Lara was trying to get across to us. So awesome stuff, Lara. Thanks for coming on and sharing about how you're helping local small businesses get the word out about their services, about their business. Totally love it. Question of the day. Did you ever just fully rely on word of mouth advertising? I'd love to hear those stories down below. Leave a comment if you're watching on YouTube. Do you want to be on the show? If so, shoot out an email, interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. If you're watching on YouTube, please join the channel. $3 a month, you can become a baby shark on YouTube again. Also, Please don't forget to check out our sponsor, Seidor, S-E-I-D-O-R for those listening, and SAP Platinum Partner, and they can help you or I can help you with your accounting and business software needs. You all know this now, but I'll tell you again, I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Bite Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story.